Okay, we just, we just roll in. <laughs> I'm taking my socks off. I'm getting ready. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, all right, so just do the roll in. Do it. <laughs> Hang on, I'm just going to check. I've got my WFRR too. Um, I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. All right, all right, lovely, lovely, Sheppy. All right, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jim. Hello, I'm Sheppy, <laughs> and uh, welcome to our humble podcast where we talk all things uh, movie, sequel, prequel, alternate universes, celebrating the uh, the movies we've loved, grown up with, still grown up with. I've never done a clean intro, Sheppy. <laughs> no, that was, that was actually probably the cleanest. Uh, that was that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. It, it was, you know, it's not bad. I'm I'm happy with that. All right. We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, oh, we probably... have no choice. I'll take <laughs> it, but I'm not paying for it. <laughs> um, today, Jeffy, you set us the challenge of a sequel yes. to the beloved classic Cooper and Roger Rabbit. Yes. Um, yeah, and that happened totally. Um, I wasn't thinking of that, but yeah, I was. I was watching a whole bunch in this. Uh, we were watching a whole bunch in this flat of of noirs recently. Um, ones that I thought I had seen, and then turned out I hadn't. Like Touch of Evil from years, decades. I just thought I had seen Touch of Evil, and I hadn't. I'd seen like the opening shot, but that was it. So it sort of gave me an excuse to do that and did like um, LA Confidential and Chinatown um, and then naturally and Brick um, and and naturally kind of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit was sort of like, you know, a, a natural choice. And it was literally, yeah, it was right at the very, very beginning. And I just suddenly thought, oh yeah, of course, Who Framed Roger Rabbit too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It has to happen. So, so that's where I was coming from. On that now, Jimbo, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh wait, no. Okay, have we seen this film together? Just as I was saying it, I suddenly realised that actually we have. Um, and I'll tell you when. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was my, I'm going to say my twelfth birthday, uh, or one of my something like that. Because I always think of twelfth birthday, you and me, and we watched The Running Man, but that wasn't the official birthday bonanza I believe um, and I think it was the infamous Steve Flashman concert of uh, 12th birthday and beforehand you and me and some others gathered in in my lounge and we watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit um, and that, that literally just popped into my mind as I was saying do you remember yeah. that I, I, what now you're saying it there's there's a little there's a vague recollection of that Shep's depot depot. Well, we were drinking right. a lot, a lot. I mean, <laughs> it was flowing. You know, twelve twelve years old, we were we were hitting <laughs> the uh, the Londis cola like no one could believe. So yeah, no fair enough. Um, well, you saw it in the movies, right? You saw it at the cinema. I did. Yes, yeah, me saw too. It at the cinema, eighty eight, with in Guildford. Uh, with my brother and some of his friends. I remember that very clearly. Well, I don't remember the film, actually. I remember bits of the film in the cinema, clearly. But I remember afterwards, we were wandering around uh, Guildford um, Civic Hall, like, waiting to be picked up by our mum or someone's mum, presumably. 
I just remember that. That's my main memory. Um, where, where did you see Roger Rabbit for the first time? Well, Sheppy was cinema as well. I have a, a funny little anecdote now to give you live on the pod, and I think this is the appropriate time to give it to you because I did a rewatch before this one. And I watched it in the Cranley Regal Cinema. And um, I watched it with my grandparents as well. And, uh, and and Vicky and Eddie were there too. They took us on a trip. Well, I guess, you know, they were babysitting us. Um, we came out of the screening. Actually, kind of been Eddie there. We would have been a baby. But anyway, we came out of the screening. And, um, and I just remember them vividly saying to uh, uh, my mom and Ian, like, you know, was very loud far too loud so that they hated it basically they wanted oh. out but they were trapped on a roller coaster wanted out you know <laughs> and um and then i um i basically then uh just this last week we we watched it loving it like the first hour is so strong sheppy so strong i've got some thoughts that i'll share later just about the, the rewatch more broadly but <laughs> the hilarious thing is like I mean, already it's an, it's the most, we've got a young puppy here, the most triggering movie we have ever oh. attempted to watch in his presence. Like he was getting triggered so much and bugging oh. on the screen so much. It was actually, ex, you know, exhausting to watch it. He agreed and, um, with your grandparents. Well, this is exactly where I'm going. Like, so <laughs> then we get to Toontown and all bears are up and it's just chaos. And G and I just say, we're abandoning, and we abandoned just north of Toontown. Toontown, and um, and then I turned to G, and I just said, "It is very loud, though." She goes, yeah, ah. "It's a bit loud." <laughs> there I you said, go. Oh my god! I, I mean, you're you're a, a man that's generally far cooler than me, Sheppy. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever like if you've ever tucked your shirt in. Uh, to your trousers and step back from the mirror and go, holy shit, I am my father. You know what I mean? But to have a moment where you realise you're your grandparents. <laughs> that, yeah, you, you, you've jumped ahead. You've done a skip. <laughs> well, well um, was, in uh, my family, we all frown upon tucking our shirts in, actually. That that goes with the territory. There's no tucking in shirts. So, yeah, I can't think fair. of a more noble coda to have for the shepherds, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had the same sometimes. My childhood would have been less traumatic. Um. Can I say, and this is totally out of nowhere, but talking about triggering, my dog is is like just two years old now. And so he's less triggered. In fact, I was talking with Marta recently about how nice it is that we can watch films. And if a dog barks on the film, he really doesn't react too much. Um, where, you know, whereas in the past, that was a real problem. But this very evening, Jimbo, we watched um, Insomnia, the original uh, Norwegian, I believe. Um, I've never seen that version before, the original oh, before. And spoilers, I mean, it's, it, you know, anyway, there's a, there's a dog in it and it gets shot uh, by Starsgard. Can't trust the Starsgard, man. <laughs> but just before this dog gets shot, uh, it makes this little whiny noise because it knows what's coming. Uh, and... <laughs> And it set off Calibos, my dog, so much. He, I haven't seen that sort of reaction for like 18 months. His tail went Basil Brush anywhere. He lost his, his mind, just barking like crazy. And he, he didn't bark at the TV. Often these days he knows what the TV is and he doesn't bark at the TV, but he thought it was coming from the balcony. Um, and he just ran to the door and had a go at it. Nothing to do with Roger Rabbit, but it was in line with your... With your I love that though, Sheppy. He's a bloody hero. 
He's about to just risk his life and go and save a dog he doesn't even know from a bullet. I think he was saying, shut up, die with dignity. Die like a dog. <laughs> and in his parlance, that means with dignity. And just, you know, stop stop showing us all up, you, you whining little sod. It's, it's my, it, that was my takeaway. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, that should be that was bloody amazing. I'm glad I threw the anecdote down. Um, Should I I give you one of the quickies on like the rewatch as well? I wrrote a couple of things down just as observations. I mean, it's a stunning movie. It was great to revisit my two favourite lines, which is the on the rocks and I mean ice, which basically Uh, I think I think about probably every day. I genuinely, genuinely, (laughs) whenever I have ice, I think of that moment. Um, And then uh, the the whole you could have taken your hand out of the cuffs any time. And Roger Rabbit saying only when it was funny, which is just mm. beautiful. Um, and then the two other things I had was when when Eddie first walks into Dolores's bar, it is. I know they're setting it, and you know it's a real period piece, but that bar is freaking horrible. Like it's <laughs> really nasty. There's food all over the tables. There's half drunk pints everywhere, of which Eddie takes a swig, and then yeah. really randomly, someone like comes in like to taunt him about you know his, his little yeah, right. people lost their sheep whatever and he eats an egg at the bar that then Eddie yeah. comes in his face well, amazing scene. I have to say the egg at the bar I, I've been to Bramley Social Club and eggs at the bar were commonplace in my day so 1940s dive notwithstanding this is something that I'm very familiar with but yes um, and by the way going back to that Roger his commitment to the punchline is, you know, Kaufman-esque that, you know, like he would die. He, you know, the, he, the weasels are there and Eddie has to hide him in the sink and all of this. He is so committed to the punchline because that's what he's all about. And that's his whole, you know, that's ethos. And so he would have died to, because he wouldn't take his hand out unless it was funny. Uh, and it, yeah, absolutely. He wouldn't have broken at the last minute if he'd under the bed or something. I respect the hell out of that. That is um, so awesome, isn't it? It is so yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. Oh, now that you've said that, Sheps, there's so many threads to pull with how far it's a very certain good cartoon film. characters it are. It is like, loud, really... but it is a good film. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you one final point, though. I've always mm. thought, like, I mean, and it's from the off, like, Hoskins is just brilliant in this movie. Like, brilliant. Like, and I, and I think. Um, probably doesn't get the chops well maybe he does get the chops but you know i'm talking like the kind of stuff that's getting nominated for oscars around this time like you could have thrown that down a bit and he's like last on the list i don't know if you've googled the seven ships but i did oh. a google it was meant to be harrison ford he wanted too much money then they went chevy then they went bill murray then they went eddie murphy robin williams robert redford jack nicholson stallone Wallace Shaw, one hundred percent sure I remember that guy. But um, Ed Harris, Charles Grodin, Don Lane, he was last on the list. Comes in, not just smashes it. Like I want to give you one thing that I noticed that is just actually now my favorite Hoskins moment of the performance, which is it's just the tiniest touch, but it's freaking beautiful. Like, of course, it's amazing how he's. I mean, anyone that's seen Harry Potter try and talk to bloody Dobby in inverted commas rather than a tennis <laughs> ball will know how hard it is to keep your eyes in the right place. <laughs> It actually yeah, looks like you're talking does. to something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, you know, there's a mo- not all of that stuff's beautiful, brilliant, and amazing. And he's very physical with his performance. But that moment where um, 
you know, exactly the bit where you're, you're talking about in the bar where Roger Rabbit, uh, you know, has been caught and Eddie wants to give him a drink and he's basically saying, you do want it. And he's yeah, like, classic. I don't want it. You do want it. And then, like, he does the flip, you know. Um, you don't. And then Roger Rabbit's I, I do. do. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And, um, but the, the moment before he does the flip of whether he wants the drink is just, like, there's a moment of little, like, something sparks in Bob. And it's not just he has the idea to do it. It's that he freaking remembers he loves defending these guys. And he remembers, like, it's actually the moment before the end of the movie. Like, it's there. Like, it's yes. there. It's, nice. His whole thing it is reawakens. Yeah. And it's the love of the punchline and, and of the tune and what the tunes stand for and the commitment. And the, yeah, it, it, it re-sparks. That, that's amazing. Um, I'm going to, you made me think, which I, I want to mention, because all of this, I could talk for hours about how good Roger Rabbit is on all sorts of levels, and Hoskins is a good example of this, where it is a, an amazing performance. And I could talk for hours before I even get to the fact that it's, you know, they're animated characters and it's, you know, in terms of the Hoskins performance, him acting against, you know, tennis balls and so forth. That's amazing. That, you know, it did drive him insane. He was dreaming about rabbits and so forth. It really pushed him over the edge and he was seeing cartoon characters, you know, on, you know, on his days off and stuff. But even without that type, you know, genius performance that he gave in terms of interacting and not just interacting and looking in the right direction but you know everything like that everything you know I'm doing this I don't know but, you know no one can see that but you know like when Roger Rabbit's hiding under his shirt and you know in real life there's someone under there doing it and he's put it, pushing Roger back down and so forth that sort of physical interplay and, and again the the handcuffs and of course there's no one in the handcuff on the other side, but he's doing all of this. That's amazing. But his performance, even without any of that, like you say, when the spark goes off, the internalizing and that level of performance is genius. I'm so glad it wasn't, I mean, I can't imagine Harrison Ford doing that. He would have been such, I can't imagine him doing that. He would have been a good yeah. private eye, but his relationship to say Roger, he would have just been growling and so forth, but it just wouldn't. And, you know, in terms of Chevy, um, or Robin Williams especially, they're so much of their own cartoon character, that wouldn't have worked. It's playing it straight, but not playing it straight. And it's, it's genius. And that's amazing. Um, so that's great. And the same thing can be said, like the whole film, like it's a really good film. Uh, even, you know, and then take away the amazing achievement that Zemeckis and everyone did with, you know, setting it up, the virtuoso camera shots, the amazing way it's put together. Take away all of that with the animation and the hand-drawn animation. That film, they filmed that in 1986. It didn't come out for two years because it was all hand-drawn. It's mind-boggling. But even without any of that, it's just a really good film. Like, it's an excellent noir. Uh, like, the plot is you know, is as good as the plot, not as incestuous, but as Chinatown. A lot of comparisons to Chinatown, actually. Like, it's a really good 1940s Hollywood, California, Los Angeles plot with the gumshoe and everything. And by the way, Jessica Rabbit's car is um, Faye Dunaway's car from Chinatown. And so there's, wow. you know, so that's nice. That's, that's pretty tasty. Um, so yeah, all of that's great. 
Um, I like that. I want to just check because there's something else. Oh yeah, another comparison to Chinatown. Um, it is, I noticed this for, I think the first time when I saw the film, like you know, relatively recently, it's that everyone, Eddie especially, but everyone almost cracks the case continuously throughout the film and they get the information, they have the information like about Cloverleaf and so forth and about Marvin Acme and the will and all of this, they have the information not even like hinted that it's there but then something happens and distracts them and they don't focus on it and it comes back later and that's pure chinatown so yeah it's it's genius so it's a really good noir and it's a really good film and then you've got all the cartoon stuff on top of it which is genius and zemeckis does this thing he does it in back to the future and he does it in this i'm sure he does it in loads of stuff but these but back to the future trilogy and Roger Rabbit especially does this thing that I really like. Uh, and it's very Spielbergy as well, but it's when it punctuates the cut of a scene with like a snappy dialogue. And it's like, that's it, that's the connection. And then it cuts straight, but it does that all the way through with something really meaty to accentuate the cut. And it's like, you know, normally an edit will be done to accentuate something or to focus on something or to make it cinematic, give it a, a meaty beat. But it's like, it does it, it's like almost like when it was written, it, you know, it's like the reverse, it was edited in the script and that's pure Zemeckis. And that's another thing I really like about that film. Uh, it's wicked. And I, I, I want to just give a shout out as well to the, um, the kitchen, you know, I forgot the title, but the cartoon at the very beginning, which opens oh, the Oh yeah, film, the babysitting one, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of the best, like that style but taken to the next level and, and you know but it's 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 genius and that has Zemeckis cuts in it as well and like you know the the plunger flipping through the air going into the toaster the thing pops down the other thing flips down <laughs> pong pong ping I'm here pang pong it's really really good I like I like all the pings and the pongs and the plants so yeah that that tickles my gooseberry and I like it a lot so yes I always know that I like that film, but every time I watch it, which isn't, you know, not that often, but I, I like it. It's good. It's probably, I'm going to say it, it's my second favourite Semeco after the original Back to the Future. Um, it's, it's, it's wow, Shep's. That's huge. I need to I, I need so. to think about that a bit more because we obviously for Romancing Stone, which we've done on the pod oh. too, like I actually really enjoyed that all over again. Yeah, so me I, too. I, I need yeah. to just sort of you know weigh those two up a bit, I think. But yeah. Can I ask as well, um, when was the last time prior to this that you saw Oh like? god, Shep's twenty years. But like one of those where you don't I could have done the pod without it. Like I saw it so much growing Fair up, plan. you know. It's one of those, yeah. isn't it? You know. And is I remembered it? it being as brutal as it is. I mean, the dip is terrifying, right? I mean, yeah, truly terrifying. You yeah. know, traumatizing. Geese, yeah, geez, like they're not going to kill the boot, are they? <laughs> <laughs> that they did. And again, it's absolutely necessary because you need to totally understand. You know, and especially when Roger's going to be put in it, you need to know exactly what it does. Um, and so, yeah, it's a very necessary, horrific moment. Uh, so, yeah. And the fact that they can turn this very cute shoe into this horrific moment. And by the way, Christopher Lloyd, just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. 
So that's cool. good. Another bing bang bong is like him, like don't move, and he sheaves his sword and it cuts. That's just another one that I really like. That's really cool. I need to oh, probably have to bloody rewatch for all those little flourishes, Sheps. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love that he's cast like him and Bob obviously having a coffee, you know, during the set of Back to the Future. And he's just saying, I've got something for you as well. And, uh, yeah. and it's, it's just a pot, so it's Doc Brown that he gets that. It's nice. And then there's to wait a couple of years. That's great. Yeah. Should we, no, should we just do true. it? Should we do Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, I'll say, um, if you'll indulge me, so I've got like two basic ideas. I came up with this one idea immediately. And I, I and I fleshed it out a bit, but then I'm gonna read that one second, and it's not huge, huge, huge. Hopefully, um, I've just basically got the main ideas for these films, uh, but I don't. You know, I haven't gone into like plot specifics or yeah. anything like that. Um, but I came up with one idea first, which seemed like the natural sort of idea for me. But then I thought, but it doesn't. It didn't feature Eddie Valiant. And I thought, well, if I was the audience member and there was a sequel to Roger Rabbit, you know, I'd want to see another adventure with those two. And and I thought maybe, you know, who framed Eddie Valiant and, and then like you know, Roger has to help him because he's in trouble and everything. That isn't really where I went, but that was something that sort of gurgled about a bit. But I'm gonna read the second idea I had first, which is the Eddie Valiant one. Um, which I think I've gone into a bit more. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's, it's tasty. So yeah, if you like, I'll, I'll just jump in. If that's jump in, Chips. I'm ready. All right. So um, this one is um, from 1998. So it was probably made in 96 and it took two years. So it's 10 years after the original and it's set 10 years. After now, I, I believe Roger Rabbit was like 1948, 1949. Um, it, it says so at the beginning. It's late 40s. I'm going to say 48 to 49. So this film is late 50s. Let's say 1959. Um, and it's called uh, Who Spilled on Roger Rabbit? Uh, <laughs> uh, one of my nice down for the count double meanings there. Um, so it's set about 10 years after the original. Um, and it's it's set um, again in Hollywood, um, but also in Washington D.C. So I'm taking it out a bit. Um, and the main thing here is the focus is like um, you know because it's now like 50s, so it's uh, the the main drive of the plot is like parallels to McCarthyism and the uh, the forming and the Senate hearings and the blacklists. Uh, the House of Un-American Activities and all of that, the, the witch hunts and the fear mongering. And that's what it's all about. Uh, and of course, the only, and you know, all about fear mongering. If you don't inform on your fellow, then you're going to get blacklisted and da da da. Uh, and the only thing to beat fear is laughter, of course. Uh, so Roger is in trouble again. He's refused to testify against his fellows. Now, this. Um, is an approximation of the anti-communist era witch hunts. Uh, so this one is very specific to tombs. Um, uh, the main drive is there's this McCarthy-esque senator in Washington who, and uh, he, he wants you know, tombs to be done away with basically. Are tombs to be trusted in this world of cold wars and paranoia? Uh, tombs are being asked to rise above mere entertainment 
and to start informing on others. Uh, those giving into the fear or spreading it uh, using negativity as a weapon. Um, uh, cynicism is easier, hate is effective, but love and laughter is the slow burn. Even when reduced to half an ember and a mountain of ash will glow and grow and never die. And thus the slow burner will always be stronger ultimately. Is the sort of that sort of that jumping really straight to the end of the ultimate message. Yeah, I love it. It was very poetic. Um, and, and it's very Roger Rabbit y, you know, you know, sometimes laughter is the only weapon we have type thing. So yeah. yes, tunes are being recruited by the government to be spokespeople using their harmless personas and their bond with the audiences, um, their likability and trustworthiness to sell lies and to toe the government line. Some do this willingly and others um, are under duress and threats of fear. Uh, some refuse, of course, and are blacklisted. And we discover at some point in the film that this is uh, being blacklisted for a tune means that you're incarcerated and then actually erased. Maybe it's the dip, or maybe there's just like another, you know, we won't go into too much detail about where tombs really came from, but they can be erased as well as drawn. Uh, so that's, that's you know, the sort of the, the nasty thing that's going to happen. Um, now, of course, this is like, the, 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 these trials have been going on for several years at this point. So some tombs have been more or less blacklisted and under over career poison. Um, now the big baddie isn't, the, um, the McCarthy guy, that he's like the pawn. The main big baddie we discover is a, an ex-star from the golden age like Roger. He's a contemporary of Roger's. Maybe even like he was a mentor of some description to Roger in like the early career of Roger. Like let's say Roger came up in the early 40s um, and he was blacklisted in the 40s, this, this big baddie uh, for some unfair scandal and so now this witch hunt is part of his revenge, getting everyone blacklisted who he has beef with, uh, the movie industry in particular, which turned its back on him. So that's like his motivation. He's intent on striking back at the industry and the government by bringing it all down. So he's obviously a cartoon and he is uh, Ferdinand the horse. Uh, he's a cartoon horse, uh, very large, like, you know, boxer. He was a huge name but in a fatty arbuckle type way, undone by scandal and disgrace. Um, but, you know, and I, like I say, he was a mentor to Roger, but not best friends or anything, but um, his on-screen persona was this kind of, you know, slow-witted and lovable, goofy, like, oh gosh, type, you know, he was, but he was never like wacky. He was more like slow and charming and dumb. Like maybe even like 1930s style, you know, animation, that sort of thing. Maybe even he's black and white. Um, so in real life, this has given him a bit of a chip on the shoulder. He's, um, his screen name, you know, he's large and powerful. He was like Champa the Chomper. Uh, you know, I've been saddled with a lot of dead weight in my time, etc. Um, so Roger is labeled as like the tomb equivalent of, of a commie. So Jessica, who uh, goes to Eddie, um, who in turn teams up with Roger, and they find out who's pulling the strings. The McCarthy senator is revealed to be this weak-minded pawn who's only in it for like, you know, to further his own career and so forth. Um, we find out, you know, Jessica's doing very well. Um, Roger has been ordered 
outside the studio to have nothing to do with her or else it will end her career as well so there's like an extra element of like you know problems she's loyal but roger loves her so much so he sets off with eddie you know he doesn't want to ruin her so that's why it's not like three of them on the adventure because i want to focus on the two of them really um we we also have because this is now like the early 60s late 50s so we get to have characters not from the 40s like uh, hannah barbera for example so we have the flintstones mighty mouse mr magoo tom and jerry speedy gonzalez they all pop up um I think they tried to get Hanna-Barbera characters for the original, but they couldn't. But frankly, having Mickey and Bugs sharing that screen time in the first one is pretty Magical, isn't it? Good stuff. Um, so Roger and Eddie do LA, San Francisco. Maybe even Eddie and Dolores, by the way, they're married and they're living in San Francisco at this point. Um, like they were, they're, they're doing well. Valiant and Valiant is still doing well, but you know, after the, the, like the few years after the Roger Rabbit case, he did very well, but things are now just like, you know, he's almost in semi-retirement, sort of. You know, he's, he's happy to only work like two, a couple of days a week, Eddie, and he's spending quality time with Dolores, and maybe they're living in San Francisco. Um, I think that's a good shout, Sheppy. You want him to be a bit curmudgeonly too old for this shit type thing. Yeah, know? a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and he hasn't seen Roger for a while, which is the other thing. Get him out of... And also shake things up. It's not all in Los Angeles this time. And also, by, you know, at a certain point later in the film, they get to Washington, D.C. Uh, as well, um, as they go down a rabbit hole of corruption in the government and in the film industry. Um, in Washington, you have the anti-Toon Brigade and the McCarthy form. Um, he's saying, like, you know, all non-humans should have no power. He's scared by what he doesn't understand and all of that. Uh, but, of course, he's being manipulated by uh, the horse. Um, so it's good stuff. Uh, disruption comes into the beginnings um, of everything. Roger and he have many, many adventures. I'm assuming, because it's San Francisco, they have car chase on that hill and so forth um and that's that's basically it and in by the end that it's the washington climax reminiscent of mr smith going to washington um, roger gives his heartfelt speech to congress turning the dour face dusty gents into hysterical guffawing whimsical souls um, <laughs> and of course by the very end um you know there's lots of hijinks and exciting stuff um, the McCarthy type is disgraced and shown to be a hot air phony baloney and Chomper is sent to the Maccas mm. and uh, Eddie and Dolores and Roger and Jessica take it easy. And uh, the end is to be like, Eddie's like, so what now, Roger? And like, maybe I'll run for Senate. An idiot in the White House, <laughs> that'll be the day. Smile, Dania, smile. And that's the end. So that's, that's, that's essential. <laughs> and the tagline, of course, um, Roger and Eddie go to Washington. Politics was never this interesting. Yeah, you know. And the other one, corruption, sex, murder, politics has everything. So again, not, not, not my best. But, but that's that's all right. So, so Sheffy, that's really that my... absolutely beautiful. I love it. I love Chompy Champ Face or whatever the villain was called. I think <laughs> he's really well realized. That's really cool. 
Nice. Hey man, can I make one suggestion? Yes. Like I, why don't if you a game? Why don't I go with mine next, and then yes. you you end with your 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 proper one? Because I am like, you know, <laughs> without wanting to encourage our listenership to sort of flash forward five minutes, this may be my worst work yet. I'd, I'd prefer oh, us to go out on a high. You had me <laughs> at worst. Yeah. No. <laughs> Please do it, and it also will give me a, a, a chance just to chill out and, and drink some of my tea. So, yes. <laughs> well, I'll do this, Sheppy, but I've got a very different tack. Um, oh, well, and, and I'm obviously very interested in what you've done with your, with your full one. Um, but yeah, so look, I um, mine is, is 2021. It's, it's mm. I guess, filmed in, what, 2019, and then they've had COVID, and it's it's shot through, and they've been able to really <laughs> touch it up over the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, Zemeckis again, um, I figured... Yeah, kind I of didn't similar... say, of course. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yes, mine, both of mine are Zemeckis. Yeah. It has to be, the net. And I think he... Um, <clears throat> so, But it's set now as well. Nice. Just to be clear oh, on that it. point. Because your thing around bringing in, like, you know, your Hanna-Barbera's and all that sort of stuff, um, I thought, let's bloody do that. Let's let's do it. I I am. Um, I was going to go with it because then it opens up. Let's just say they just you know Ready Player One style. They get the keys to everything, yeah. cartoon wise, um, and and that just creates a lot of opportunity for fun. To be honest with you, so I I just thought, and I was not going to do that. I just quickly say that I was going to go with a bit more of a Godfather Part Two style. Um, you know, set it only a few years later and go back to when Eddie and Teddy were in their pomp as detectives oh. as well. Like, do you know what I mean? But um, but anyway, nice. um, uh, I, I haven't got that. <laughs> so our cast is um, uh, Melissa McCarthy um, as Edith Valiant. Oh, um, hello. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> I, don't, I was going to go with like uh, Chris. Pratt and uh, and have him as Ned Valiant just to keep the Ted Ed Ned pun going, oh. but I didn't do that. Um, so oh, Melissa is Edith. Um, I guess I'm still trying. Honestly, I, I I probably need a second coffee to do this, but I'm going to say daughter. You know, let's say she's in her fifties as well. She's in that okay. sort of spot. I think that works. Look, it's broadly now. Let's not get it too. It can far. work. It can totally work. I mean, you don't know. I mean, I mean, well, let's face it. Dolores isn't a spring chicken in uh in roger rabbit but who knows maybe anything's (laughs) possible um i've got keegan michael key in here because he's just one of my favorites and i just love his eyeballs and i just want him (laughs) reacting to cartoons doing stuff um so i've got him as a detective draw i mean the name should not be brilliantly thought through and then i've got dan Aykroyd Aykroyd as harry tombstein um, nice. And then you've got, you know, your Charles Fleischer and Kathleen back and all of that kind of stuff. So um, <clears throat> let me just get straight to the chase, Sheps. So we're, 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 um, we open much as uh, the original did with um, a, a cartoon. So, um, you know, a cartoon within the cartoon. Um, and, and so we've got uh, Baby and Roger starring in Recycle Rabbit. And, nice. um, and it's basically Roger taking Baby down to the local recycling plant. And um, to take some bottles down, and then there's loads of machinery around there, and all that kind of thing. Inexplicably, there's all sorts of ridiculous machinery around there. Of course, you know, that might crunch cars and all that sort of thing too. Um, and then, of course, as Roger's loading the bottles in, he loses the baby. He starts to clamber over all sorts of dangerous shenanigans, and then all sorts of hilarious moments and this sort of thing. And then it just, by the way, 
a quick anecdote for you, Sheppy. I don't know if I've ever told you the story, but when I was living in Battersea, I once had to get a new bumper for my uh, Vauxhall Astra at the time. <laughs> and when I turned up there, and I must have been looking particularly sort of office boy suity, maybe in a little <laughs> maths short sleeve shirt with a pen in my top pocket. And the fellas, you know, who were real men at the front just went, yeah, if you want it, you've just got to go and get it yourself. It's over there. And this was on top of another car was this um, Vauxhall Astra. And so I just got my little spanner and clambered on the, the bottom car, opened the passenger door and then was like, you know, as the wow. car was rocking backwards and forwards, trying wow. to get the thing off, they wouldn't move off of me. So I had to do that anyway. So that's always given me trauma. What a bunch of greasy bullies making poor old <laughs> Jimmy with his pocket protector clamber up with his four colour pen clicky clicky. He's stuck in there, <laughs> going up there, trying to wobble with all these cars. That in itself is the opening of a Roger Rabbit film. That's the well, cartoon. Well, that's this is amazing. it. So I figure I'll have to have that moment where, of course, for Roger, it will be like 10 cars and baby's got to the top. And then, and then, of course, we're just trying to rescue him. You have the moment where the car starts to go and like tilt, and then it stops. And then there's just that pause. And of course, you know, nothing can go wrong here. And then the, the little dummy falls out of baby, like out of his mouth, and then just goes, ding. And then that's enough to stop <laughs> yes. the whole thing collapsing. That's the only gag I've got really from the I whole see thing. Roger's ears just going down just, <laughs> just before it hits. <laughs> Um, and then maybe a, a big old steering wheel in his mouth or something but, um, but anyway the um sorry that's just uh then at the end you know of course whatever maybe it's the cars the crash and it's uh and we've got the birds instead of the stars and so we've recycled a gag as well as recycled rabbit as well as recycled thingy but um but anyway that there's a that's a wrap it's not like roger's duffed the tape or anything you know they wanted birds let's just say and Jessica is on set to greet Roger. There's lots of kisses. They're very much in love still. Everything's happy days. But this is present day. So um, this is like, you know, they are, um, obviously they haven't aged at all and Roger's still getting gigs, which is nice and happy. They are basically um, leaving the set to head to the Oscars for that night. Um, I should have said, by the way, this movie is called Who Shot Jessica Rabbit um, in, in 2021. Um, and I've already got sweats, Sheppy, about how I'm going to recreate the fonts for all three of our titles. Let's <laughs> not worry about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the um, but so they leave the set for the Oscars. She's up for Best Actress, um, and um, as they leave the set of this recycle rabbit, there's like paps galore, like flashing, flashing. They want to know about her expose of sort of some kind of Me Too esque story. Um, of an early audition gone wrong where she was asked to pose for inappropriate pictures. It's just breaking. And um, and she's not giving them any of it. So they, they bundle into the back of the limo or something or whatever and get out of there. We cut to Keegan-Michael Key. And he is very much, he's a detective, but he's very much a friend to the, uh, but like in a police force detective where McCarthy will be like a private detective, if you know what I mean. So Keegan-Michael Key is like in the LAPD and he's very much a friend of the tombs. And as we meet him, he's having like a, an Oscars barbecue party because he's a big sort of very flamboyant character. And he loves his Oscars and that sort of thing. And that's at his house in Toontown. That's to say he lives in Toontown. Oh, and wow. he's interacting with them all. And what I want, the one reason I've got it as a barbecue just shamelessly is I want because we got them all. 
I want um, Peter Griffin, Homer Simpson, and Fred Flintstone at the barbecue, chatting around the barbecue like dads giving King and Michael King advice. Like, wouldn't that be just a wonderful thing yeah. to see? I've got no yeah. gags for you yet, but like, it's just there. Like, you know, anyway. <laughs> you can have Beavis and Butthead in the background stealing the beers. <laughs> totally. And, uh, and then I thought um, it would be just nice to have like to one side as well, kind of on the other side of the party because they're a little bit more 3D rather than 2D. There's, I'm not pulling that as a thread. I thought about it at one point, but but 3D rather than 2D, you've got Buzz Lightyear and Woody sitting having a chat. And Buzz Lightyear is ba- Woody's asking Buzz to come meet him in in New York. Like, does he should be coming over? And Woody is basically a full New York hipster in real life. No, like he's he's you know coffee snob everything you know he, he just looks totally you know same hair but like yes. he's just dressed <laughs> totally different he wouldn't know what to do with a lasso in real life like you know he'd just be lost <laughs> you know what I mean and uh, and, and then Buzz is like so just without the suit as well but he <laughs> he refuses to go to New York because he won't fly he's scared of flying like do you know what I mean and that'd just be quite a fun little touch anyway but anyway and um, yeah. Having it present day is so cool because you can go nuts with like everything, like you know, uh, Puff Girls, He Man. You know, I mean, I instantly went back to the eighties, but still, you could, yeah, yeah, that's great. You could have um, Banana Man, Desperate Dan. Oh know, my god, having a chin off Banana Man, yeah. and Desperate Dan, that'd be amazing. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. I just look. This, this will fall apart as a pitch, I think, very soon, and I don't really have an ending. I don't even have really emotive, but we can maybe resolve it together. So we're um, so I, I, we're at the party, and um, Keegan gets a call out because they're short on police detail. Um, so he like slightly nervously leaves the tunes in charge of his house and um, goes off to the um, the police station. Um, and and then we end that scene. We cut to the Oscars itself. The minions are at the Oscars as well from Despicable Me and they're rioting, you know, they're, they're protesting for equal pay and that kind of thing. And, and maybe there's a moment where one of them gets interviewed and they're really articulate, like really <laughs> state their case beautifully. <laughs> um, and, um, and, then, and then we get Keegan at the police station because I just thought it would be quite funny where they go, oh, look, and he gets his, his hat on and his keys for his vehicle for the, the detail. And, and because uh, he's not, he's not a particularly senior detective or anything, at, at the, you know, not all necessarily well respected because of his love of tubes or whatever. But anyway, um, they just say to him, "Oh, look, we we've got some actor for a drive along for you tonight as well," which doesn't make any sense really because all the actors would be busy with the Oscars. But it doesn't matter. We've got an actor for a drive along, and he's and he's got Scooby Doo in the back of the car with him as well for his little drive along for his gig. Um, and that's only just for one gag in a minute. But anyway. Um, then, then we cut to the Oscars. We've got an in-memoriam section of the Oscars and it just is finishing with Kenny from South Park. <laughs> and, again, <laughs> and, and we've got Marge and the audience looking absolutely stunning. And by the way, just sat next to someone totally random that isn't home, yeah. of course, and we all have to deal with that because she's not very home in real life. And I'm just <laughs> saying, I can't believe it again, you know, sort of silliness. Um, the the in-memoriam, it could start with um, Kenny and end with him also. And like he died <laughs> during as well. <laughs> um, and then, and then, like, cut to uh, Keegan. And like, I'm doing quite a lot of in and out scenes here, but I guess I'm trying to build tension. We know what the bloody um, film's called, you know. So, um, you've got uh, Keegan outside. He's in his car with his partner. Partner, I thought about. It. it doesn't matter. He's only in one other scene other than this at the moment. 
and they're about to do, and they're listening on the radio, you know, and it's like they're about to do Best Actress. Everyone, sh- 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 sh. they're like basically, he just <laughs> the Best Actress announcement is about to happen, and he just says to his partner, "Did you?" And they give it a little sniff, and then they both look in the back, and Scooby's just looking really like it wasn't me, and they just wind him down a little bit. Um, and uh, anyway, Jessica Rabbit's up against Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, Halle Berry, and October Sp- Octavia Spencer. They're all in, like they're coming in for the road. Streep is yes. in the movie. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, Ra- Jessica Rabbit wins, and she graces the stage, and Ro- and as Roger looks on her door, and the a shot rings out, and she falls. There's chaos. Wow. And Roger goes missing um, from the event, and um, and obviously just pandemonium. And um, and anyway, and this is where it starts to unravel a bit, Sheppy. There's my moment. I just want to say you the... you need to have a lot of pandas running across again. It's pandemonium on the stage. <laughs> Kung Fu pandas, for God's sake, he'll be there. <laughs> Maybe Jack Black says that to the camera. It's a great shout, Sheppy. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Keegan is in the rabbit household helping with the investigation and um, everyone seems to be following the wrong leads. No one's seen Roger for the last couple of days um, and he sees on the mantelpiece, you know, a picture of uh, Roger and Jessica with a bob in his, you know, probably in his late 60s, 70s photo We've got the Hoskins family to agree to this. He's in the picture. I love how you have uh, to Photoshop Hoskins into a cartoon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like that's a really lovely touch of how you thought about it like that but let's be clear this is a beautiful photoshop this isn't a spectre yeah. style boink there's just crystal falls <laughs> head on the oh, little boy like you know this is a real photoshop <laughs> this, feels, this feels right and um and, and and melissa mccarthy's in the shot as well and they're outside valiant and valiant so for a period this was a father-daughter detective agency right. um and um and then you know keegan uh Keegan's partner says something to, um, you know, to, to, to him, something like, you know, the, the Saturn detective, how come she isn't here? Like, do you know what I mean? Then we cut to McCarthy in her office, just overwhelmed with tunes everywhere, going, okay, 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 one at a time, one at a time, you know, and uh, everyone wants to talk, you know, huge go. And anyway, over that period, we established there's been no body. The body's like disappeared from the morgue or something. Um, where's Roger? Where's Roger? What's happening? Um, as things, um, you know, things quieten down, she clears the tunes out of her office and then does a little nod, maybe to something similar or maybe something, you know, there's, there's one other Hoskins. I don't want to make this Denim Elliott in, in the Indiana Jones 4, but, you know, you know, there's one other thing where she's like, what would you have made of all this? Like, do you know what I mean? Anyway. Um, and then, of course, on, all I've got now, this is where it starts to unravel, Sheppy. I've then put, of course, Roger comes to her secretly. Of course, he's a mess and a liability. And, and um, of course, she goes to speak to Dan Aykroyd, um, who is deeply sinister and slimy and, you know, big movie mogul type character. Of course, there's a scene where um, Keegan comes to see if she knows more than she does or anything, given she's got Roger with her as well, and uses and uses his wonderful eyes as he checks the apartment and looks all suspicious and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, and... Um, what did I say as well? Look, I thought, well, you know, Hugh from Roger Rabbit had brilliant cutting cameos, but I'd like to also see, I've just put a couple of other ideas of cutting things. I'd like to see Tom and Jerry just as best buds out of life, yeah. like, you know what I mean, just hanging. I'd love to see um, Wiley Coyote in ice packs between state takes. <laughs> I just, it really does hurt him. <laughs> yeah. It's um, <laughs> like only so much. <laughs> Every day um, for 50 years. <laughs> but I think, um, 
couple of little things that should happen. Roger and Melissa fall out at some point. Um, so Edith and Roger fall out because she isn't taking the case seriously enough. Roger feels like he's not, his wife's been shot. She's missing what's happening. Um, so um, Roger, they have a fallout and he goes off to go and actually work with Keegan. And so there's a little buddy cop thing happens with Keegan there as well. Maybe with Scooby-Doo too, who's still in the back of the car. Nice. And then um, the end of act two um, of the movie, Melissa goes back to her apartment, which we haven't seen yet. And um, and then as she walks in, gives it an all clear. Jessica's there. And there's some kind of, and this is where I don't really have like the full scope of it yet, Sheps, but there's some kind of plan here to create a, a moment and a movement because um, the world isn't taking her story seriously enough. Like, do you know what I mean? And that's kind of where we're, we're going with this. Um, and then key and and so we know Melissa and Jessica know that. Of course, it's up to Keegan and Roger to kind of crack the case, Columbo style, even though we know what's going on. And and they basically unearthed that the shot came from a certain booth at the Oscars, and that was where Mickey Mouse was sitting. And I think we just got to give Mickey something a bit more juicy. Everyone will assume, like, you know, it's it's Harry Weinstein, whatever I called him, <laughs> Harry Toonstein, <laughs> uh, but, you know, who's the villain of Peace Perfection. Let's just say Dan is actually a lovely fella, and we don't find out who took the pictures of um, of Jessica Rabbit. So who shot her from a pack camera yes. perspective is a pun that's never sold. Yes. Um, but it's more about the movement and, and change and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, and they, they, they obviously go and speak to Mickey and that's how they find out that it was Mickey who faux shot Jessica Rabbit and then, you know, caused this huge stir that then caused other people to come out and more people to kind of talk about their thing, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Nice. So, um, the bullet, by the way, has got to be like a, a tomb bullet. <laughs> like like the dum-dum. That, that, that'd be good. So that could be a sort of witness. They've got to find the bullet because it ran off and they have to find amazing. out and track that down. That, that's tasty. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. I love that, you know, by the way. We didn't properly give Poskids kudos for his dum dance. Looking at the good dum <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's, that's it's it's tasty. It's great. Um, yeah, well, of course, Poskids, everything, everything about Poskids is fantastic. Um, <laughs> that's great. I love it. I mean, are, you, are we saying then that Mickey is absolutely the villain? Because I can't see. No, he's in on it. He's he's right. you know, that's the point. He's the one who pulls the trigger. Right. Um, maybe we have to have a moment where people think he's the villain, but the bottom line is he's part of the plan. He's helping right. to facilitate the change. There isn't actually a villain in the end, Sheppy. There's a lot of red herrings. Well, well, and and, and again, pandemonians and red herrings. Hey, what <laughs> do we have to do to get some respect around here? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, brilliant. <laughs> there should be That's a cartoon great. red herring who's really famous. We need to think about that, you know. Is there one nice. like a character? Like, you know, I mean Harry it's gotta have been a joke. Yeah, yeah, and he's a communist. Yes. Um <laughs> only uh, he yeah. isn't. <laughs> now what a twist. <laughs> yes, something smells fishy around here. Wonderful. Um no. You know, as always, I, I think that's a great idea, Jimbo. That, that's that's solid, and the fact of doing it present day, um, I'm loving it. Yeah, and again, I love the title, the double punnery type feel. Uh, great. Yeah, yeah. Nice. You know, Melissa McCarthy was in that uh, Muppety film a few years oh, ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It's so, a bit close, actually, isn't it? Now that I think about it. But and she's a police detective, but no one really saw that film. Uh, so I think she would be up for 
giving it another go. It wouldn't be the first time someone's done something very similar, like you know, done a similar role, like almost next to each other. And you go, okay, they're giving it another shot. So that's okay. I So it works. I, I thought I'd better point that out in case anyone listening is like, meh. So it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, good. That's a good point. That must have been subliminally in the back of my mind when I Maybe. when I booted Chris Pratt out for you know <laughs> not taking it seriously enough. But there are lots of things you know, like you know, you, you think of something like I'll just say this. This is out of nowhere, but just this week it was announced that Disney Plus is making a Flight of the Navigator TV show, and it's like so I want it stated because like you know like. Yeah, it's, it's right. It's right for it. So it's just one of We're those. We're happy things. to share the video file, Sheppy, in the specific date and time when it was recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there were lots of things. And also, like, you know, little things like uh, Ferris Bueller and uh, Fleabag and the relationship towards uh, direct address through the, through the mm. camera and breaking the portal. There's lots of stuff there, which, you know, maybe things are influenced, but, you know, organic, organic thought. You know, it's all, it's all connected. So bring in McCarthy. I love it. Bring it on. I think that's great. Uh, so yeah, yeah wonderful. Let's do your one. I'm excited. Okay. Well, okay. So this isn't. This is similar. You know, in, I haven't gone. The, the main details that I've come up with here is that the plot, in very very broad strokes, it's really just the universe that I got into the most detail with with this with this sequel. Um. But this is relatively rare for me. This, like yourself, this film uh, is made now. This is, uh, so this, this, so uh, this could even be the third Roger Rabbit film in, in the Sheppy universe. So the, um, the one with Hoskins came out in 98. This one comes out in 2021 or whenever. Um, and it's called Who's After Roger Rabbit? which again, double meaning, um, because it's who will succeed after, you know, who will succeed Roger Rabbit, who will come after him to be the next big star, and also who is chasing Roger Rabbit, so who's after Roger Rabbit. And it's Zemeckis. Now, but the the film, um, it's set in the 70s. And this was the first idea that popped into my mind after seeing Roger Rabbit in terms of a sequel, because like I say, I've been watching a lot of noirs recently and it really fits into you know, the 1940s classic mold and then the 1970s mold. And one of the films I saw recently was The Long Goodbye, which is the Robert Altman adaptation. Um, and it's Elliot Gould playing Marlowe and it's set in the 70s, it's made in the 70s. And it's a very large influence on this film in terms of the look um, and specifically the hero. Um, the hero in this is very, very Elliot Gould from The Long Goodbye. Um, so that's, that, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, so it's set in the 70s. Um, it's also, so it's heavily channeling The Long Goodbye, but with strong shades of Shaft and Serpico um, among others, because, you know, it's 70s, it's New York, um, and it's um, this whole sort of deep corruption and, you know, um, lots of black, like the, you know, uh, the black exploitation feel is strong in it as well. Um, it's been established in the first film that tunes were, you know, 
very much second-class citizens. Like the Ink and Paint Club, it's so such a throwaway line. Like in Star Wars, with like, your drawings, we don't like those thoughts, they have to wait outside. Sort of casual persecution, um, you know, like coon review, strictly humans, that sort of thing. But this is the 40s, of course, so by the 70s, um, there's this sort of liberation movement that came up in the late 60s towards the equality of tombs, not dissimilar to, to your minions protests. Um, there's a union, there's public support, and also an underground movement. So of course, like I say, this is coming off the late 60s, Berkeley protests and so forth. In the film, um, as well as like the burning of bras and so forth, we see a photo from a newspaper of Jessica Rabbit in, in Berkeley, like around 1968, surrounded by like-minded humans and tombs, uh, but they're burning a paintbrush. Um, activists are human and toon, very much in line with the black power, but we have toon power. Um, and also a dissident cell, uh, like a Black Panther type um, of, uh, of toons who want equality by any means necessary. And that's another factor. Uh, and this, this group is known as Swoons for Toons and Toon Swoons. <laughs> but there's a chant like, we ain't showing birds, we ain't ringing bells, we ain't gonna swoon for no one, no more and no how. It's not a very good chart, but what can you do? This is uh, one of the main elements to the story. Um, a lot of which, by the way, is set in Harlem um, with this whole sort of vibe, lots of alleyways, lots of live and let die, keep those hands up, honky, type thing. So the main plot is focused around this Bill of Rights is about to be passed, granting never before freedoms to tombs. Uh, the mayor of New York City is a major character here. Uh, he and others want this bill squashed as it would impede their shady rackets and schemes, which rely heavily on certain tax cuts or what have you, since tunes don't get much money or benefits or tax breaks. So, um, you know, in fact, and they still have to pay taxes for the right to exist. Um, so right up front, we learn that a supposedly pro-tune senator um, has been murdered, apparently by the swoon tunes, but this is a ploy to discredit this particular movement and the name. Uh, we establish also that the, the swooners, um, they have like uh, liberal supporters and faux liberals. Um, and then you have like the sort of like the racist element against tunes uh, with a major focus, major focus on the corruption in City Hall and in the police force, you know, again, strong Serpico elements. Um, and of course, Watergate is a huge element here. Uh, corruption, secret plans from City Hall. Um, and again, more Shaft vibes. Now our hero um, is a disgraced ex-investigative uh, journalist. Um, again, playing into the Watergate era and everything. I've got him played by Don Cheadle. Um, and Again, he's really channeling Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye. I, I, I can't stress that enough. He was fired from his paper after printing a story about like a district attorney who is now high up in the government and tight with the mayor. Maybe it's even the mayor. Um, he was a highly respected journalist, but he was disgraced and fired uh, because, um, you know, he was given bad info, which led him to being uh, kicked off the paper. And now he writes for this underground paper 
And he also gets odd work here and there, like writing copy for ads or jingles, like, you know, really tacky, horrible TV jingles and things like that. Um, and again, I've got him as a cross between, of course, Elliot Gould and also um, Ben Urich from, um, from Daredevil. Uh, he's um, up top. He's, he's approached by Roger and Jessica, who come to him uh, because he has made his name writing these hard-hitting expo pieces. But he was also known for his anti-tune articles. And um, they go to him because they, you know, Jessica and Roger don't want this whitewash, you know, and they don't want bias. They, they just want the facts. And Roger's like, and who better? The Barnaby Brown of the bullpen. The Robin Hood of the inky copy. The Bernstein and Woodward of journalism. Uh, the journalist um, you know, didn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> impressions of cartoon characters. Uh, well, uh, just, of course, not cartoon, but, you know, your Miss Piggy, I seem to remember as well, being stunning. I'm just, I'm just wondering whether it's not too late. <laughs> just wondering. It's just for tea talking, man. I, I, I'm riding the, 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 the double bag. Um, it, it gives me the kick, uh, which I need. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> thank you. So he, uh, so yeah, so Roger and everyone, he knows that he won't sugarcoat it. Um, and in fact, he knows that this journal, the Cheadle character will be looking for a way to disprove Roger's theory. But um, the swoon tunes, by the way, some of the members are friendly with Cheadle, but others have serious issues with him. And there's this, you know, couple of close scrapes in there. Um, and this is, um, yeah, but he has no reason to lie. Uh, so he's, not, and by the way, he's not totally washed up like, like Valiant was, and he's not given up on life. He's got it together. He's not a slob. He's, he's bohemian um, and he's relaxed. And he's, um, he's friends with some of the police and um, force and he's friends with informers on the street. And he's got, you know, he walks all the worlds. Um, and like, Elliot Gould, again, from The Long Goodbye. He has wacky friends and neighbours. Some are human, some are toon. Oh, by the way, he also, I think, served in Korea, just so he can handle himself. Um, and he's not hugely bitter um, either. You know, he takes everything. He's not phased by anything. Um, <coughs> and he's, he takes everything on the chin. He goes with the flow. So again, he's not, he doesn't get stressed like Eddie. Um, and he's very comfortable around tunes as well. Um, uh, now, in this history of, of the tune world, they usually resided in, in Hollywood, but since television really became successful, um, a lot of television production, of course, comes out of New York. So now a lot of tunes are working and living in the Big Apple, and that's generated a lot of like tension as well and this is like not new this happened in like the late 50s and 60s and now it's the 70s and so they're established but a lot of it is like go back to where you came from toontowns on the west coast and this sort of thing um and we meet the tone tune cast and we can have the hannah barbera's scooby of course flintstones bob and jerry and also the super friends so you've got like superman but that really cheesy animation of superman batman Wonder Woman and that sort of thing and they're all very very clean cut and you could have them in real life being kind of baby Herman and you know but you know maybe that's too easy maybe they are just really really like clean and clean cut anyway but you could have a superhero element 
love if it's if it's something that can happen. Oh, you also got like there's a character who is a bit like Benny the Cab, so maybe it needs to be a villain just to make it different. But it's a subway car who is graffiti instead of tattoos, and he's always getting new graffiti tattoos put on him. Um, there are like singing that. hot dogs and pretzels and the vending trolleys for the sort of New York flavor. Um, there's one toon cop, I think, who's like, um, he's highly persecuted in, you know, he's very much Serpico and the, he's like a, a token toon um, and he's like the office monkey. Maybe he's even a monkey, but that might be too on the nose. And he helps and he becomes decorated at the end. And he has a happy ending. Uh, we also have a Toon street informant who's like this sort of homeless type, uh, but he's helpful. And I think he's killed like halfway through. Uh, we can have a sequence at Central Park and the Empire State Building, um, Police Plaza, the police department, uh, Harlem clubs and CD dives and back alleys in this sort of rich 70s New York sort of feel. Um, by the way, we also find out what happened to a lot of the stars of the golden era, um, which of course was like the 40s. Some are doing okay and have retired gracefully, but some have really hit the bricks. Uh, like um, Betty Boo in, in Roger Rabbit, you know, she's black and white and, you know, work's been slow since tunes went to color, which is just, again, it's really throwaway element, but it's genius in that film. But there could be a strong element, like Baby Herman hasn't worked for a long time, but he's, He's rich, but you know, bitter or something. And there's lots of that. Um, like some of the big movie stars in Hollywood in the 40s who sort of went out of favor in the 60s. Um, especially since, you know, the, the Hollywood type movie that the Dream Factory kind of dried up in real life. So that could be an element. In this case, Roger is very much like Jerry Lewis. You know, he still acts and he still has a presence and he has a. He's in New York and he does like telethons and stuff on TV. Um, and he's basically very beloved by, by, you know, by the nation. So he's doing okay. But of course, his, his glory days are, are long gone. Um, no tune, of course, ages very much in terms of appearance. But in terms of Roger, I think there are some subtle changes here. It's several decades later. And he has, a, you know, like maturity on some level. Like, it's still Roger, and he's still basically the same. He's certainly not bitter or corrupt or world-weary. He's pure Roger, but he's just had experience. And there's this, so there's just like an extra element, you know? Like, if he was in his 20s in Roger Rabbit, now he's in his 40s, too, that sort of thing. Um, here's a talk show, uh, by the way. Oh, and his telethon is for, like, retired tunes and, like, Toontown restorations, you know? Some of that ink's wearing pretty thin. Um, uh, and he has probably maybe <laughs> even a crooning side career and stuff like that. He's doing well, and he's with Jessica, of course. Um, but today's big stars are all on the small screen. There's an element of that in the plot as well. And also how 70s cinema was, you know, was very gritty and not this huge spectacle MGM musical style or Cleopatra mega spectacle style from the 50s and 60s. You know, it's it's very much different and there's not much place for tunes in that kind of cinema. 
So that's another reason that a lot of work has dried up for a lot of tunes and that there's uh, television stars are the thing to do now. Uh, but again, Roger's seen as like an elder statesman type and, you know, a legend from yesteryear. Um, but of course, this, this is uh, the 70s, it's a cynical and disillusioned era. Um, and of course, there's also avant-garde European films as well. Um, there's like the French New Wave and there's like the Belgium New Wave with Tintin. And he's like this really pretentious wanker. But, you know, he's very popular, this Tintin. So, so there's that and Snowy is, you know, he's, he's got a lot of problems. So, so that that's all right. Um, Roger is one of the only relationships in Hollywood to last because he's still with Jessica. Jessica, by the way, has stepped down from the spotlight, or at least she's not acting. Um, and she's still obviously the same. She's glamorous and so forth, but she's she's embracing sort of natural beauty, and she's not wearing these clothes anymore. She's, you know, she, in fact, she's sort of all about. Um, philanthropic work. She's very much a Jane Fonda activist type. We saw the photo of her burning the paintbrush and there's also a photo, um, a, a Jane Fonda-esque mug shot and Jessica had been arrested and she's uh, you know, holding up the solidarity fist. Um, and we see that. And she also has a very well publicized workout regime. And she's like, I'm just waiting for home entertainment to kick in, then we'll be rolling. So again, strong parallels. If, so she's Jane Fonda basically and Roger is um his thingy who i said um whose name just totally forgotten no that's fine um the main villain um is this fat cat <laughs> and of course yeah he's a fat cat and he's very very much uh, the john houston chinatown type character um he's a businessman into politics and he's pulling the strings of course into the corruption of city hall uh, he has all of the police and the mayor's office in his pocket his designs of the eradication of tune rights and the expansion of his power. Um, and he's all about the city corruption and so forth. Many twists and turns as we find friends cannot be trusted and enemies are not what they seem. Uh, we also have, of course, the mayor of New York is a human and he's horrible and he's a baddie. The chief of police is heavily corrupt and his rotten police department. We also have the leader of the swing tune power movement who is, uh, but also one of the one of the main people who never liked Cheadle, and we find out he's been working for the man in return for payouts and benefits. Um, he's not a major baddie, but he's a massive hypocrite, and he's an informer, and his uh, rhetoric is weak. And he has no conviction, and he gets his comeuppance. Uh, by the end, of course, the mayor and city hall officials have all been exposed and the rotten apples in the NYPD have been found. Uh, fat Cat, who's in his penthouse uh, above, like overlooking Manhattan and so on. Um, he's, he's dealt with, his minions are all dealt with. Cheadle is uh, awarded as a hero. And he releases a book called Roger and Me, a look into the corruption of the power system for tombs. And we find out that's a game changer. Um, and yeah, this is going to be like you know, little newspaper stuff at the end. So a bit like Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, where we just see a little things about what happened to people in the next few years. And of course, so this book is massive and it sorts out his career. Uh, Roger and Jessica and all tunes 
are now free citizens by the end. The bill uh, is, is uh, granted and released. Uh, Roger announces that he's going to write, act and direct in a big budget film. Jerry Lewis, of course, that's who I was thinking of. So he, he's going to make his own The Day the Laughter Died. Um, we can, that film in real life is, is very controversial and it's never been released and Jerry Lewis just doesn't want it. Well, he said he didn't want people to know about it. But anyway, Roger's got this big design. I'm taking cinema back. Um, and they, that's basically the end. Uh, Roger, Jessica and Cheadle save the day and find equality for all. And the taglines, um, in a city this rotten, not even tombs are just black and white. So, so there you go. That's very yeah, that's the, the heck, man. That's very like it's one of those ones where we just have so much to say about what's going on here and now, chefs. Be, I mean, that gets greenlit on that basis, you know, and and how right. as, as depressing as it is, you know, and of just course, haven't moved on as far as they should, right? So, well, that's yeah. it. I love it. Yeah, but of course, um, this is all just the heavy background of the actual plot. It's very fun. It's very funny. Very loud, not for dogs <laughs> or grandparents, and you know. But but this is yeah, the the, the meat at the centre is that's where it's all sort of coming from. Nice but, ships. Yes, very 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 exciting. I yeah. I mean I'm in on both of yours, man. I'm in on both of yours. I, I love. I I think that last one is obviously like the more thought through idea, but the crescendo you built to with Roger running for senate, and then I can just <laughs> see the circle going in on his face. <laughs> or maybe even a husband face of shock. But yeah, but look, I mean, I, I love it. It's cool. And Cheeto's a great casting move there too as well. I think he'd be good. I think he'd be good. Yeah. Nice. Roger Rabbit is one of those films that they've mooted a sequel for like a, a while. And also like, maybe even a prequel was talked about at one point. Yeah. Um, or another. Who knows? Maybe it will still happen. It probably will before we even release this, they'll announce it tomorrow. Blind <laughs> to the Lamy Get it filmed and, and drawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 genius. So, yeah, well, there you go. I mean, yeah, I mean yes, the, I think I actually, overall, I, I would rather, out of my ideas, I'd rather see the Eddie, Eddie Valiant one. But the first idea that popped to my mind was 70s New York, and that could be Valiant. He'd be way too old at that point. Maybe he can cameo. Well, not if it's made in 2021. Uh, good old Hoskins. But yes, yes, yes. Nice. Very tasty. I like it. Cracking chefs. Well, look, I, I, I guess the, the only other order of business is for me to set us something for next week. And I ha I've had an idea that's a bit wacky and a bit out there. So um, if you're listening to this, listeners then it means the idea wasn't so ridiculous we didn't go back and re-record it with something better <laughs> this is a good sign this is a good sign if i'm in euro balls at the moment um so this is a bit off what we normally do sheppy but um what i would like i'm going to give you what i'd like us to do and i'm going to give you one example that i'm going to do for it um, so basically, the, the the idea here is that um, it's not necessarily about sequels, but it is about um, potentially loose ends, real or ridiculous, that you believe 
should be tied up and they've been nagging at you maybe for your life like maybe for the what I'm about to give you has been nagging at me for maybe 30 years and um and 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 it doesn't even have to be a sequel because it you could just do something in a post-credit sting or something that would just give you the resolution you need right so all I want from you is a minimum of three don't lose your mind trying to think about all the ones you'd ever want to do on this because I'm sure we might revisit this if it's successful over the years but um I'd love to know like at least three little things that still nag and gnaw at you as just, I, 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 can't, I can't live with not knowing how that turned out. So I'll give you mine now quickly <laughs> that I will definitely try and think about how this would work. But um, Scrooge with Bill Murray has a moment in it when he's giving his heartfelt speech at the end where he gives it, you know, what was the boat that sailed them all to Gilligan's Island? And uh, and his brother gets the question wrong um, when he's like visiting him in the Ghost of Christmas Present, and uh, and alive on telly in in, uh, in his heartfelt speech, he's able to say, you know, my brother James gets everything right apart from one thing. What was the boat that sailed them all to Gilligan's Island? The SS Minnow, James. The SS Minnow, <laughs> and everybody, like the whole world, you know, heart is melting at Bill Murray finding his soul again. But but in Bill Murray's brother's house, everyone's like, "What? What do you know?" What, what? <laughs> I just yeah. want to know, like, so when they next get together at Christmas, what happens? Like, you can't just leave that, like. How did you know this isn't the age where I left my mobile phone on in my pocket and you overheard me? This is the eighties, man. Like so, I so I I need some resolution there. I need something where you know Bill Murray manages to get out of it. Something like it's left too hanging. It's yeah. silly. It's ridiculous. It only matters to me, but I think about it at least once a week. In the I shower. love it. Well, so yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm class. I bug all of my brothers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> huge. I love it. Um, this isn't. This isn't really what you mean, but I'm going to say, and I'm not going to say this next time anyway, so I'm going to say this now. But you know what I watched the other day, and I've never thought it was a good film, and it's been proven officially now, Lethal Weapon 3, we had a, a broke a bit of an embargo and got, got quite drunk and watched Lethal Weapon 3 um, over the weekend. It's not a good film, Jimbo. It's not a Aww. good film. Uh, but... The, uh, the lady, the big black lady, yeah, the jam in my jelly roll. Oh, yeah. Her. She serves, I mean, okay, whatever. But, you know, there's that scene where she comes back and then Myrtle has to hide from her and she comes in to oh, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's office, just like yeah. it sort of it brings back, yeah, like this one joke. And it's like, okay. But it's like, because she's brought back, it's like, well, what happens there? That's, that's never, ever gone into it again. It's like, well, where, where is that? Well, she just gave up. It's like, there's nothing. She didn't even turn up at the end and sees Roger with Trish and she's like, oh man, or anything like that. It really annoys me. And also, by the way, Leo does nothing in that film. There is no reason for Leo to be in that, uh, in Lethal Weapon 3 at all. He has nothing to do. And apparently he was only put into the script right at the last minute, but there's nothing to do. So I would say at the very least, at the end of the film, the big black lady and Leo get together and it would just tie off, the, give them both a purpose in life. So that, that's my freebie that I'm throwing out there right now. God, that is, it's a terrible thing. A purpose terrible. in life. And they went to so much effort to have Joe Pisky's head like oh, popping, popping up and up down, and down in the Lethal Open 3 poster. Oh, I remember it well. That, was, that must have been very expensive. I remember, yeah, Guildford Odeon, that thing. <laughs> Absolute 
ripe. Uh, so yeah, no, not a big fan. So I think go. we could have a let's, let's, let's make it a rant. I love it because I think there's a lot of things here. So just gonna just get my mind to it. I don't have a second in the clip yet. So uh, oh, we'll, we'll we'll regroup, Sheffy, and make it a little special standalone shoulder. That's great. That's great. Yeah, the, the loose end uh, episode. Yeah, I like that That's title for it as well. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant title for it. We could have called the whole bloody book. It could be a split in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, anyone listening, if you have a loose end that you want to uh, tie off or at the very least draw attention to, let us know. We'll give you a shout out. Oh, now I've got the barking puppy. So, uh, yeah. Is that a euphemism? My biscuits are burning. <laughs> I'm going to have to deal with an unruly animal, Sheppy. Um, well, can we'll you hear that there. as well? The squeaks and the growls. It's beautiful. Anyway, well, um, on that bombshell, then, I love it. Uh, I love your um, your idea and your title, um, and I love everything. So, nice, yeah. Sheppy. Yours too, man. And uh, yeah, well, thank got, you for listening, everybody. Good stuff. Do you have uh, anything to uh, to end us off with, Jimmy? I, I was going to do that. Oh, please. But I, I'm not going to do it as well as you, Chef. I'm not going to do it as well as you. There's no point. <laughs> well, I'll say this. That's all, folks. That, how's that for like a, a, a porky pig impression as well? That's all, folks. Good stuff. A lot of heart in that delivery. As soon as you put your finger up, I knew you were going to go with that sort of folk. So it was like a real <laughs> visual porky pig. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> um, but I brilliant. often be compared visually to porky pigs, so it works. <laughs> well We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.